There are lots of ways to know how your fellow radio contesters are doing, both during and after any major contest. Online real-time score reporting tools are the focus this time out, so let's get going with episode 20 of Zone Zero. Hi everyone, Springs hit us with full force in southern BC, British Columbia. This is Bud, VA7ST, and I'm sitting here with a bit of sunburn from my first couple of days of full warm sunshine, and I'm looking forward to the next six months of outdoor activity. Operating in a contest often means giving up big chunks of a sunny weekend in favor of fun on the radio. It's quite an investment of time, and if there's anything we can do to make that time even more enjoyable and less isolating, it's worth doing. We toil away with purpose during those long contest weekends, but at least for single operator unassisted categories, we intentionally avoid sharing details about where we're making contacts or who we've found on the air. But that doesn't mean we have to be isolated from our competitors. So I thought it might be interesting to begin this episode by taking a look at a few outstanding contest community resources that can help add to the enjoyment we get from our investment in time and station building. In recent years, thanks to the availability of internet access from just about anywhere, a growing community of contesters are posting their live contest scores in real time to online score reporting services. These are quite sophisticated online pages that gather up-to-the-minute contest scores from around the world and they publish them live. Anyone can go online and watch the competition unfold with stations jockeying for position in the various categories. Over the years, I've found these to be one heck of a motivator to try harder, to keep my butt in the chair, and keep turning the dial or turning the antenna looking for that next valuable multiplier or contact. Now, there's two primary online score reporting sites that I know of, and I like them both. I have links to these sites in the show notes for episode 20 at zone.va7st.ca. The first is the Contest Online Scoreboard. Now, this site works with all of the popular contest logging programs, including N1MM Logger, WriteLog, DXLog, WinTest, and several others. And the development team includes Victor, VA2WA, Alex, Kilo 2 Bravo Bravo, and Randy, Kilo 5 Zulu Delta. And they've done a masterful job of building a site that's easy to use and reliable. You can view a station's total score up to the minute, along with the number of contacts they have, and a band-by-band breakdown, as well as their multiplier totals. Another popular contest score reporting site is the cqcontest.net scoreboard. It's also compatible with all of the major contest logging programs, Uh, CQContest.net is a powerful score reporting site, and it was developed by the R4W team in Russia, and it's very popular with the global contest community. It, too, offers a variety of ways to view the live scores. You can dive down into the details of a station's activity, view statistics, and even view hourly rate graphs for any particular station, all in real time. The good news is you don't have to choose which online scoreboard you want to submit your scores to. There's a really handy single address that you can plug into your contest logging software, and that will take your score report and automatically forward it to both of the sites that I mentioned previously. In your logging program, just point the score reporting to the address I've included in the show notes for episode 20. Again, that's at zone.va7st.ca. 
for listeners, uh, the address is www.bravo41hotel.net. That's b41h.net slash score distributor. That's all one word. Dot PHP. This is a score distributor that will forward your reports to both Contest Online Scoreboard and CQContest.net. And don't worry about breaking any rules by posting your score to an online score reporting site. These resources are used by many of the world's preeminent contesters, and they've been designed by outstanding and scrupulous contest operators themselves. I'm not aware of any contest rules that prohibit real-time score reporting. In fact, your online score doesn't tell anyone what frequency you're working on or who you've worked in the contest. At most, another station might be able to figure out what band you're on, but not where on the band they would find you. So, give it a try. Both sites provide good guidance for setting up your particular logging software to automatically report your score in real time. And again, I have links to both of those sites in the show notes and to both of their help sections for setting up. One final note about score reporting. After the contest, remember to submit your official entry log to the contest sponsors. Many contests these days have short submission deadlines, some as short as a few days after a contest. Every contest will list the log deadline in its rules. If you miss the deadline, your log might end up being considered a check log, which means it wouldn't be eligible for the competition, but it's still highly valuable to the log checkers as your log can help validate the log entries of other stations. And if you want a little more fun, consider posting your claimed score to the 3830scores.com website. The site has custom forms to post your claim score for just about any major contest and many of the smaller regional contests around the world. A lot of contributors like to include a brief write-up of their experiences in the contests, and these make for really interesting reading in the hours and days after a contest is all over. It also makes a great archive from year to year, which can be a valuable source of expert knowledge as you prepare for the next contest. I like to use the score comparison tool that they have to see exactly how my totals on each band matched up against similarly equipped stations in my category. And it's really amazing to see how one station in my region might do really well on 80 meters in a particular contest while I suffered, or vice versa. So it's useful intel to help assess your station's weak points and its strengths. And that is how a station building to-do list keeps getting longer. Let's take a quick recap of the April conditions. Our last episode was at the end of March, and at that time we were looking forward to a handful of contests in April. So looking back over the past four weeks, I can say that conditions were a real mishmash. The EA Ritty contest on April 7th and 8th produced surprisingly good results for us here on the North American West Coast. 20 meters was open to Europe from VE7 for hours on both mornings of the contest, and it was strong enough to work down into the second tier of stations, so it wasn't just the kilowatt stations that were workable. It was the stations running 100 watts or so into a Yagi antenna pointed towards us in North America. The European country multipliers and the Spanish multipliers in that contest added up pretty quickly, and I ended up with my sixth best ever score in the 14 years that I've been recording my entries in the EA Ritty contest. That's not too bad, considering we're in the trough at the bottom of Solar Cycle 24. The following weekend brought the Japan International DXCW contest on April 14th and 15th. While we on the West Coast usually enjoy an advantage when working Japan, in this contest, the bands were truly awful. I ended up with just 12 contacts with Japanese stations and only 10 prefectures. That's just 10 multipliers out of a possible 50. 
Conditions were so poor that I only entered as a 20-meter single-band operation, and I only put in an hour as there just weren't enough workable stations from here in British Columbia to justify more time. The following weekend was April 22nd and 23rd, when our Brazilian friends sponsored the Manchester Minera or CQMM, contest. I spent about five hours in that one and managed just 61 contacts and eight South American contacts out of that 61 total. To my surprise, I had more contacts on 40 meters, including more South American QSOs, than I did on 20 meters. So that really does tell us something about the strength of 20 meters that weekend, and it was kind of typical for the high band conditions at solar minimum. On the final weekend of April, we had the British Amateur Radio Teleprinter Group, or BARTIG, 75 baud Ritty Sprint, and we had the Sugar Papa DX Ritty Contest. In the Polish-sponsored SPDX Ritty, conditions were rather flat, but they weren't as bad as they had been on the previous two weekends. Running low power this time out, on 20 meters, I was able to work a few Europeans, including a handful of Polish stations, for multipliers. Participation did seem down a bit from recent years, which is to be expected, as the bands just aren't in good shape. But, as SolarCycle 25 revs up to speed in the coming years, we should see a resurgence in weekend contest participation rates. Now, before the Bartig 75 baud Ritty Sprint, I checked the rules and was reminded to check the list of expert stations before the contest began. In Bartig-sponsored contests, anyone that has achieved a top 10 finish over the past year is required to enter the single operator expert category in the subsequent two years. About 40 stations each year make that list, and they remain there for the next two years. Well, to my surprise, I made the experts list in 2017, so now I have to compete with the other, quote, expert stations through 2019. Well, that really made my day. I had no idea I'd been in the top 10 last year in one of the Bartig contests. Now, I think the 75 baud sprint is interesting for three particular reasons. One, it's only four hours long. It starts at 10 a.m. Pacific time here in British Columbia, that's 1700 Zulu, on Sunday. And it ends at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, so it's a short, action-packed sprint indeed. The continents are multipliers. That's the second nice thing about this contest. So, when you multiply your contact points times the number of DXCC countries you work, and the U.S., Canadian, Japan, and Australian call areas that you work, you multiply all of those points by the number of continents that you've worked. And the third great thing about this one is the Sprint is operated using higher-speed radio teletype. Now, normal Ritty is 45 baud, and while you wouldn't think 75 baud is that much faster, it really is. Calling CQ takes about a second or so, and an ideally brief two-way exchange takes maybe six seconds. So that makes for really quick QSOs, and at times the contacts per minute rate can be really high. With the bands in sorry shape, the sprint this time around was definitely a daylight-only 20-meter single-band contest. In Bartig contests, there's no differentiation between low- or high-power entries. You just compete against everyone, regardless of the power level they're using. So I ran the amplifier, putting out about 500 watts into a three-element Yagi. I tried like crazy to work as many continents as I could find, and for me, North America is automatic. I'm going to work North America for sure. And it would take quite a disaster to prevent me from making at least one European contact in broad daylight on 20 meters in the morning hours. Well, I pointed the antenna in all the best directions, calling CQ and combing through 20 meters over and over, hoping to run across an African station. 
I thought perhaps the Azores or the Canary Islands or Morocco. Uh, those are the most likely African stations to work from here in most big contests. But it was all a futile effort. When the four-hour clock ran out, I had just North America and Europe in the log and nothing for Asia, Oceania, or South America or Africa. It was really disappointing, but that's life in the trough, as I call it. The Volteridi contest is coming up. Uh, now, May is a bit thin on big contests, but there is a really great Ritti contest on May 11th and 12th. It's the Italian-sponsored Volta Ritti Worldwide Contest, and it's incredible fun because scores soar super fast, up into the millions, and some really successful stations will have scores in the billions of points before the weekend is done. Each contact is scored according to a points table that's based on the distance between you and the station you're working. Then, for multipliers, you multiply the QSO points by the number of DXCC countries and the call areas of the United States, Canada, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. It makes for great fun, so if you're able to get on the air for some teletype contesting, I'd highly recommend this one. And then, we have one of the year's biggest contests, and one of the favorites on my calendar. That's the CQ Worldwide WPX Contest on May 26th and 27th. WPX is shorthand for weird prefix, because the multipliers in this contest are each unique callsign prefix that you work. So, for example, that means working stations with the callsign prefixes of W6, WA6, N6, NN6, and NK6, for example, would give you five different multipliers. So scores rise really quickly, and it's a complete blast. CQWPXCW is a two-day event, but single operators can only work 36 hours of the 48-hour contest, so picking your 12 hours of off times is an important part of a winning strategy. I don't have the stamina that I had a decade or two ago when I'd put in the full 36 hours, so I usually max out at about 28 or 30 hours of operating time these days. I'll get on from the start, which is at 00 UTC on May 26th, and I'll keep going for about the first 10 hours. That takes me to about 3 a.m. local time on Saturday morning, when I'll try to get about 5 hours of sleep before coming back to the airwaves uh, for the usual 20-meter morning opening to Europe from British Columbia. Typically, I'll take a 2-hour nap on Saturday afternoon as 20 meters begins to go soft, uh, but I'll be back as 40 meters opens up across North America in the late afternoon, and I'll work 40 meters and 80 meters throughout the evening and through the night again until about 3 a.m. or so, and then I repeat that cycle all the way through Sunday to the close at 23.59 Zulu on Sunday. Now, who knows what the propagation gods will deliver for us this time out. I do know that we'll all be in the same boat no matter what the conditions are like, and it'll be extraordinary fun to make rapid contacts on packed bands. If you've never competed in the WPX contest, you should give it a try. The exchange is super easy to copy a Morse code because it's just a signal report and almost always you'll receive a 599 report and in Morse code they'll often shorthand that to 5NN and then you have the station CQ zone. That's easy to copy even at high speed. And stations should have the courtesy to slow down for you if you're sending at a slower speed than they are. I sure do slow down because I remember what it's like to copy code on paper before it became second nature to copy in my head. To give you an idea of how much fun you can have in this one, I looked over the past 10 years of my entries going back to 2008. In every year except 2011 and 2013 when I was part-time, 
I made more than a thousand contacts in this contest. And usually I end up with about 1200 contacts. So the pace is frantic at times. And for a lot of contesters, that's exactly what we crave. You could really do well in the WPXCW even with a modest setup. Now, for those who don't know, I have a three element Yagi for the high bands, and it's on a little crank up tower that puts that antenna at a modest 47 feet in the air when it's fully extended. But I usually compete with the tower nested, so the Yagi's only 27 feet in the air. And I do just fine with plenty in the fun factor department, even with that low three element Yagi. Pretty basic setup. It doesn't matter what gear you have, just put it on the air and jump in. You'll enjoy it a lot. And if you'd like to add an extra element of fun, consider posting your scores either in real time during the contest via the Contest Online scoreboard or the CQContest.net scoreboard, or after the contest on the 3830 score reporting website, so we can all see how you did. Well, that's it for episode 20 of Zone Zero. Let's go get them. I'll see you out there.